My grandma wasn't telling us fairy tales like the Little Red Riding Hood. She was telling us stories about how my father got detained from the house. This is Ahit Tamimi. She's from a village called Nebi Saleh in the occupied West Bank. And like many West Bank villages, Israelis build illegal settlements nearby. Palestinians protest them, and Israelis crack down on the protests. That cycle of occupation has touched the Tamimi family in countless ways. In Nebi Saleh, it's been going on for half of Ahad's life. The first arrest of my dad was when I was three years old and I was visiting him. The murders of my uncle and my cousin, the arrest of my mom, all of these things. My brother was arrested. All these things I lived in my childhood. I'm officially 19 now, but I lived through all these things when I was 8 years old, 10 years old, 11. And at 16 years old, Ahid struck back, and the world took notice. A young Palestinian punching and kicking a heavily armed soldier. Days later, the army arrested her in a nighttime operation. A young, blonde, blue-eyed girl slapped the, the central image of the power of the occupation, which is the army. 1.7 million people across the world have signed a petition calling for her release. Ahed was arrested interrogated, and in 2018, she served eight months in Israeli prison on charges including assault. That was where she celebrated her 17th birthday. All my life, part of it has been the occupation. But you know, I didn't let it control me. My fear or my sadness, they weren't things that I let destroy my personality. I started seeing these things as reasons to become even stronger. Ahid is almost 20 now, and while she was stuck at home for most of the year, in Palestine, a lot changed. Israel is threatening to annex the West Bank. Settlements are expanding, and Arab countries are normalizing relations with Israel one after another. Even without mentioning the pandemic, this year has been unprecedented. So today, as part of our 20 and 2020 series on the global generation coming of age, we're talking about how Ahid got through this year. I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. I talked with Ahid after she'd finished the first of her final exams for the semester. Yes, yes, it's me. It was the end of a long I'm week. Trying to she wanted to do the interview in Arabic, hence all the translation you've been hearing. But we caught up in English, too. So what were you doing today? Um, I just uh, went to see my friends. And now I'm with my family because it's my grandmother's birthday. How big is your family? How many brothers and sisters do you have? I have just three brothers. I'm the only girl. Do your brothers and your, your parents spoil you because you're the only girl? Uh, yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so let's dip right into it. But you can answer in Arabic if it's more comfortable. Uh, okay. So in 2017, you became famous for confronting an Israeli soldier at your home. It's a video that went viral. Do you remember what happened? Can you tell me about that day? 
Of course, these moments a person can't forget. It was hard for me because my cousin was critically injured and at any moment could have died. She's referring to her younger cousin, Muhammad. And if you only saw the video of Ahid slapping the soldier, you might not know there was more to the story and what happened to Muhammad that day. There had been a protest against settlement expansion, and Israelis shot Muhammad in the head with a rubber-coated steel bullet. There were very difficult feelings for me because I didn't want to live again through the feeling of losing one of my family members because of the occupation. It was during the same time that Jerusalem was announced as the capital of Israel. And at the time, the situation in our country was very hard. It was very hard. So what I did by hitting the soldier was just a natural reaction to the existence of occupation on my land. Any Palestinian who's in Palestine facing the occupier would do the same thing that I did. That's our way to express our refusal. You spent eight months in an Israeli prison after that, as did your mother and your cousin. And then when you came out, you were famous. Rosa Parks of Palestine. Here was a teenage girl who had publicly humiliated the army, and even when handcuffed and shackled, she continued to show strength of character. You are raising your daughter, Ahed, as a provocator, as a uh, violent uh, gangster. There was all this media attention. You are a symbol of the Palestinian resistance. What was that like for you? Of course, I'm not going to tell you that this was normal for me. It was very hard, especially for me. By nature, I'm not a social person. Plus, I had been in prison for eight months, not seeing anyone. I just saw the people who were with me in prison. It's hard for you when you come back to start all over with your friends and your family. You need time to get used to them again. When I got out and there were so many people, I dealt with all of them. There was a lot of media. It was so hard for me. Ahed Tamimi served her eight months and Israel's prison authority released her back to her family and her friends who were overjoyed to see Tamimi going free. Once Ahed was out, the world wanted to hear what she had to say. It was a role that she had to step into pretty quickly. What was the hardest part of all was that I was famous. Or I don't want to say famous. It was just that I had to speak. Or my duty was to speak about what happened to me in prison to share the message of the girls who were with me inside. This was the thing that was giving me hope and strength. To stand in front of all of those journalists, all of those people, and challenge myself to stand and to speak about everything that happened to me to deliver the message of my people to the whole world. Thank you for talking about it. I know it's hard on you, so I appreciate it. After Ahid's time in prison was over and the media frenzy faded, she went back to her 17-year-old life. She finished high school and she went to Berzeit University in Ramallah to study law. I first thought about being a lawyer when they detained my father and they wouldn't let me go into court because I didn't have an ID. They wouldn't let me visit him because I represented a danger to Israeli security. And of course, at the time, I was only 10 years old or even younger. And I wasn't allowed to visit my dad. 
So I started saying that I want to study law and become a lawyer to go to the court with my dad next time he's arrested to defend him and defend the detainees. And in prison, I learned more about studying law. So when I joined university, I registered for law because for me, at the very least, it's just one way for me to express my rejection of the occupation and of Zionism. When this year began, January 1st, 2020, what did you hope would happen? Did you have life plans or goals for this year? Of course I had a plan for this year. I wanted to focus on my university, to study and finish this year in school, and then travel to learn Spanish. Ahit says she's always been obsessed with Spain and Brazil. In our interview, I saw a Brazilian flag on the wall of her room behind her. She's always loved football, especially when she was younger. And like many teenagers around the world, her concerns this year are pretty familiar. Of course, I wanted to spend more time with my siblings and my girlfriends and hang out, but the situation changed. Everything changed. So you just started university a few months ago. And then the pandemic came to Palestine. So can you take me back to those days when you realize this is going to be a huge global event that's going to change the entire year? Of course, we learned from the news that there's a virus spreading around the world, but it hadn't come to us. One day there was a party at our university and everyone was there, me and my girlfriends, And then the next day, they closed down the whole country and the school and everything, all of a sudden. We didn't think it was going to get to the point where it came to us in Palestine. I mean, who would come here who has the virus? But one day, I woke up and everything was closed. In addition to everything that we have, the occupation and the thousands of other things. Okay, Corona? Oh my God. And we're still going to live? So then now, during the pandemic, what do you do in Nabi Saleh? Has it changed? And has it changed how you spend your time? Look, in Nabi Saleh, it's a small village. A really small village. Ahid told us there's about 600 people, all of them from the Tamimis, her family. Everyone knows everyone. And in Nabi Saleh, things have been closer to normal than in many places. Inside the town, everyone goes out. There are no cases here because we close the whole town. No one comes in or goes out. But of course, it was affected a bit. I mean, for me, I wasn't spending a lot of time in the town. I would just wake up and then I would go to Ramallah, to university, to go and do anything. For me, because it's a small town and there's really nothing to do, you know, people got bored. Okay, we love each other, but it's also a bit routine. So what's the situation now with the settlers and Nabi Saleh? Are you still protesting? Of course, the situation isn't like before. There's no confrontations like before. Before the pandemic, the regular weekly demonstrations in Nabi Saleh had already changed to more occasional events. And Israeli supporters of settlement expansion have mostly focused on advocating for a new road in the area. It would allow for development of more land and potentially 
create a ring of Israeli settlements around the entire Ramallah area of about 200,000 Palestinians. But overall, Nebi Saleh's interactions with Israelis have decreased. Every now and then the army passes by and shoots and does something. There are a few small confrontations and then they just finish. There are no rallies like before, no confrontations, maybe because of the situation, because of corona, and gathering is hard now. So we're scared that if confrontations happen directly with the military, that they might have corona because the number of cases there is much more than the number of cases here. So in a way, the situation is a bit calmer now, but it's still hard. One thing that anyone who saw you in the videos that went viral, who saw what you went through as a teenager, they'll know right away that you are a brave, active young person. And now you're spending your time at home, surrounded by four walls, studying online, not protesting. Is that hard for you? What's helping you get through? Honestly, I just try and fill my time with anything because the situation is boring. When I have a book in my hand, I don't even have the energy to read it. I'm a little addicted to this online game called Bobji. So I spend a lot of time playing Bobji. I go out to my uncle or aunt's house. I try and fill my time with anything to not spend time at home, to not spend it between four walls. Was there a low point for you this year? Was there a part where it just felt really hard during 2020? Of course, it was hard for me in the very beginning of the lockdown, and it was my first semester of school online. I didn't do well at university. I'm not going to hide it from you. I started getting angry for any reason, getting sad about anything, because I was stressed out and staying home, and I don't like it. I'm at home. I'm locked in. It's like a prison. It really is a bit like a prison, you know, you're forced to stay in the same place, something is forced on you, and after prison, I couldn't take having stuff forced on me, even simple things. So the lockdown, it was really hard for me, but eventually I adapted. Ahid's time in prison was one of the reasons I wanted to know about her experience in the pandemic. In prison, her arms and legs were often shackled. It was a fight to get materials to study, and she rarely had any contact with her friends and family outside. So obviously, some big differences. But there was one thing that she said back then, when she was released, that struck me. After you were released from prison, you had said on record that it taught you to love life and to appreciate even the small things. So how did that help you during this year? Of course, it helped me that I had a little experience of having something forced on me. At first, my mood wasn't good. One day I woke up and I said, what am I doing? Why am I doing this to myself? So I started getting back to what I was like before and got my energy back. I would remember the prison and tell myself, I don't want to relive even the small details of prison. In prison, there are more challenges than now. It's not exactly the same. So in a way, in prison, you have more passion for life because you're challenging the occupier and the Zionists who killed people in your family who were forcing you to stay in prison. So it's more of a challenge than what's happening now. But 
you know, of course, a person tries to love everything in their life. I'm trying to spend time with people I love, try and take advantage of the situation, to strengthen my relationship with my relatives here in town, with my aunts and uncles. These are the things that are making me love life these days. The other thing that's been going on this year in politics are these agreements that Israel has made with a few Arab countries. And even now, Morocco is the latest country that says it's going to normalize relations with Israel. Is there a message that you want the world to know about these agreements and how they've affected Palestinians or how they will affect Palestinians? All these agreements that they call peace agreements, these are not peace agreements at all. I am telling the whole world, you are the occupied ones, not just us. We're occupied, but at least we reject the occupation. We're occupied, but we confront the occupation. The occupation is on our land, completely, but it didn't control our minds and our humanity. I say to the whole world, to every free person in this world who still has humanity, reject. Reject the negotiation of your country with the occupation, with the Zionists. Because this thing that's impacting us now, it will affect you later. You are the victim. Not us. The victim is the one that lets the occupation enter their mind and strip their humanity away from them. So for us, we see ourselves as freedom fighters. We haven't let the occupation enter our minds. Yes, the occupation is on our lands, but still, we're resisting it. We haven't lost our humanity yet. Ahit's name and face have become famous. But part of what made her so watchable back then was what a normal teenager she was. You could see it in her face when she was talking back to Israeli soldiers in the courtroom or laughing with her friends. And that's still true. It's not that Ahid is the voice of her generation. It's that her voice was one that was finally heard outside Palestine. I asked her what she thinks about her generation versus the ones that came before. In my opinion, for my generation here in Palestine, I'm telling you a million percent we see life from a different perspective than the last generation. With all due respect to everything the last generation experienced, we didn't inherit any victories. We're forced to live with all the defeats, so we're challenging the defeats. For example, the two-state solution that the last generation believed in. My generation doesn't. It wasn't an opportunity for us, it was an opportunity for them. And our generation refuses this. This generation is not ready to accept more defeats for half its land, for even a quarter of its land. So to the whole world, we're sorry, but we're not going to be like how you want us to be. We'll be how we want to be, because we're not ready to give anything up. And that's the take. Our 20 in 2020 series continues next Wednesday. And a special thanks to Dana Balut for bringing Ahad's voice to us in English. To see Ahad in action, you can check out AJ Plus's documentary that covers the story and her release from prison. It's in the episode description. This episode was produced by Alexandra Locke with Dina Kispe, 
Amy Walters, Oni Wohacha, Nagin Oliai, Priyanka Tilbe, Ney Alvarez, and me, Malika Bilal. Natalia Aldana is the engagement producer. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Stacey Samuel is the executive producer. And Graylin Brashear is Al Jazeera's head of audio. We'll be back. <laughs>